How about we pray and ask for God's help as we look together at his word. Please join with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will help us now as we examine Romans 12, as we think about worship and as we reflect on our lives before you. Please give us understanding and please give us humble and willing hearts to trust you and to live for you. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to take this slowly. And uh, last week, we really just looked at a couple of words, particularly focusing on the words in view of God's mercy. Well, we're going to pick up the rest of the verse today. So let me read to you from Romans 12 and verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And I'm reading there from the New International Version, uh, the latest edition, the 2011 version, which is a little different to the earlier one. And if you've grown up memorizing scripture, you may well have a different version of this verse in your heads because it's a good one to memorize. So let's uh, have a look at some of the things that we see here. First of all, about worship. And the first thing that I want to say is that worship is responsive. It's responsive. Uh, we see it's in the light of something that's come before. It's responding to something. Therefore, I urge you in view of, and there's a response that flows from this. Worship is not our initiative towards God. It's very important, I think, that we get the right order here. Many people would think that worship is something that you do towards God so that God will give you a response in a particular way. But no, worship actually flows from what God has done for us already so that God shows the initiative and we respond. And we respond to the God who has come close to us. We don't come close to God in worship so that God will gather us into relationship with himself. Now we need to get that order right. And one of the things I've noticed as I've read widely on this topic of worship is that sometimes it is very wrong. Sometimes people think if you create the right worship, then God will act. Well, he's appealing to Christians, uh, to brothers, brothers and sisters to change, not to get right with God, but because God has acted to make people right with himself already. And that's his mercy. Second thing that we see is that this worship is costly. It's costly. Look at the language here. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know the idea of a sacrifice, don't you? You, you take an animal, Old Testament sacrifices, it was a bull or a goat or a lamb, and you would take the animal and the animal would be slaughtered. Well, the sacrifice now is not to be uh, another animal, now, the sacrifice is to be one of yourself, your very being. Now, this is not the first time this idea has been raised in Romans. So I want to take you back to chapter 6. And I'm going to read a couple of verses here, which just show us that if we recognize that Christ has died for us and we have put our trust in Christ, then we have therefore died with Christ, then there is a logic that flows. So follow with me in Romans 6. I hope this kind of makes sense. Romans 6 verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, he's talking to Christians, then we believe that we will also live with him. We die with him so that we'll live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. 
The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. The reason that we died, the reason we come under God's judgment is because of sin. We are raised to life to live a new life, not a life of sin, but a life that is lived to God. That's, that's what he's saying. There's a transformation that happens. And then he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, we've got a grasp here that, that we understand who we are now if we put our trust in Jesus by looking at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So who are we? We're people who've died with Christ. He died to sin, to pay the price for sin. So we've died to sin. We've put that behind us. Doesn't mean we won't sin, but that is to be a thing of the past. It's not something we're to continue to live in. Rather, we are to live to God. We've been raised with Christ to live a new life in relationship with God. So when he talks here about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, it's this language of dying to yourself, of dying to your sinfulness, a living sacrifice, dying to selfishness, giving up pride, giving up greed, giving up chasing after security and personal satisfaction. It's actually trusting Jesus and dying to self that you might live for God. So it's responsive, it's costly, but we also see that it's bodily. It's bodily. It involves the whole self. Notice there to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, your whole body, not just your finger, not just your leg, not just your head, but your whole body. In other words, this worship in response to what God has done is going to involve your whole person. It's not something that you can say you do one day in seven. It's not like a tithe where you'll give 10% of all that you've got, all of your time, all your money, all your resources, all your opportunities. You give 10% of them to God. No, it's not something that is a portion of who you are or what you've got. It's something that is to encompass everything you are and everything you've got. Not just theoretical, but bodily personally, practically, physically, as you drive, as you shop, as you discipline your children, as you relate to the neighbours, as you relate to your parents or to your in-laws. It's got to do with what you do with your bodies when you eat, when you drink, when you work, when you have sex or don't, when you are involved in sport and recreation. You see, it will encompass the whole of life, not just in our heads, but with our actions and with our words as well. Worship, you see, is not just a church thing. To speak of worship as something that you do when you go to church, it's, it's really a nonsense idea, isn't it? As though, because God has shown you mercy to bring you from spiritual death to life, therefore you'll give him a portion of Sundays. It's ridiculous. Or therefore you'll make sure that there's a bit of money left over at the end for God. Or therefore, you'll sing in a particular way when you come to singing. No, that's not worship. Worship has got to do with the whole of life in response to God giving 
everything for us. God gives us his son. What will we give to God in worship? So it is responsive, it's costly, it's bodily. And the last thing I would say here is it's logical. It's logical. Um, Now you'll notice the NIV says here, this is your true and proper worship. It's your true and proper worship. Now, you might have had an earlier version of the Bible or a different version even today that says this is your spiritual act of worship. Or it might have a different way of expressing it again. But I want to go back to the original word that's here. Uh, I don't expect that you'll be able to read this, so I'm going to give you an English version of it. It's the word logiken. Logiken. They're Greek letters and they spell out logiken. Now, even just saying that, logiken, You can see what word group it's got to do with, can't you? That's right, logic. It's got to do with rational, reasonable. Uh, True and proper is, is a pretty good translation, I think, of this word. This is your reasonable, appropriate, logical. This is your, well, that makes sense, worship. Not just spiritual, although, of course, the whole of life is to be spiritual, but that's not what the word is saying here. The word is saying, this is worship appropriate to what God has done for you. Now, I hear people say uh, from time to time, I owe that person my life. I've got a friend who's uh, had a transplant and he literally owes his life to someone who gave him the organ that is keeping him alive. I owe that person my life. Of course, you can't do anything about that in this case. Uh, Sometimes there are things that people do that leave us indebted to them, grateful to them. We would do anything from them from now on. Well, friends, God has given you everything in Jesus. He's shown you total mercy in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, what is logical? What's reasonable? What's true and proper in response? Well, it's to give your whole bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what will be holy and pleasing to God. Nothing less not part-time, not a portion, but everything. So friends, from verse 1, we learn a lot about worship. It's a response to God, it's costly, it's bodily, and it's logical. Christ gives us everything. What will we give him in return? Well, friends, I want to pick up on these things just a little and explore with you some of the implications for understanding worship in this way. I think we might need to shuffle around things in our heads a bit. We might need to shuffle around things in our church a bit. We might need to get a different perspective on the nature of worship. We might need to bring it into line with what we're seeing here, I suspect. So the first thing, if we're to understand what worship is to be like as Christian people, it needs to have mercy in view. Are you looking back and seeing God's mercy? That's where it starts. It starts with God's mercy. You see, if, if you're not a Christian, you cannot worship God. Now, now, you've got to start by becoming a Christian. What does that mean? You need to put your trust in God's mercy for you. You need to give up your own desire to control your own life and go, God, I'm giving you my life because you gave your life for me. That's the nature 
of worship. It has mercy in view. It's a response to the gospel. When we feel that we might be failing in our worship, when we feel that it might be half-hearted or even hypocritical going through the motions, the thing is not to work harder at worship. The thing is to look back and see the mercy of God once again. Jesus has fulfilled worship for us. The true sacrifice, the true priest, the true temple. We can now meet with God. Nothing separates us from the love of God, as we saw last week. Keep the mercy of God in view. Look back again at the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and that's what will motivate and shape our worship. The second thing is I believe we probably need to rethink church and worship. Church and worship. How so? Well, I grew up thinking that I went to church to worship. I worshiped God. I did it on a Sunday and I did it in a church. I went to church to worship. Now, hopefully I did. That is, hopefully I did worship God when I went to church. But the thing is, it's just as important that I worship God when I go home from church as when I go to church. There's a sign that uh, one church, I've, I've seen this somewhere, I don't know where it is, it's probably in the United States. There's a sign that one church put up as uh, you leave the car park of the church property, having been to church, the sign that you see as you go out of the church says, worship starts now. Worship starts now. You see, worship is a Sunday to Sunday event. It's not a part of Sunday or topped up on a Wednesday night or a Thursday at Bible study. It's not something that you do when you focus on a on a podcast or when you're reading your Bible. It's not just when you're praying. It's not just when you're fellowshipping together with God's people. All those things, of course, should be worship. They should be reflecting and an expression of your relationship with God. They should respond to his mercy and they should involve your whole life. But don't compartmentalize worship to those things. It's so important that we don't limit worship as a church activity. If we do, and, and if nothing else, it's disrespectful to God because God died for all of our lives, not just for the bit that we give him when we go to church. Thirdly, I want to pick up on this idea of praise and worship. Praise and worship. I think one of the favourite scenes in one of my favourite movies, The Blues Brothers, is when they, they go to this truckies bar and they ask the proprietors of the truckies bar what music they play there. And she says, oh, we play both kinds, country and western. Well, I wonder whether they'd gone to a church if they'd say, well, we play both kinds, praise and worship. Maybe. But this notion of uh, what we do in church when it comes to music as being the time of praise and worship falls into the same limitation problem as that of speaking of going to church to worship. Sure, we, we can praise and worship through singing, and I think it's important we do. But if we limit the praise of God and the worship of God to singing them, it's illogical when we think of what God has done. And we use that language, don't we? We, we might speak of another church over there and we say, well, look, they've got some great praise and worship. Or we might be reflecting on something that we've done at church and say, look, the worship was terrific. Or we might speak of a, of a member of the staff team and say, well, they're the, they're the worship leader, as though 
leading the singing made them the leader of worship for the whole church. You can see the problem, can't you, with, with the way that we've, we've actually created a vocabulary that's restricted and limited. We need to liberate the language of worship. We need to open it up again. And now it's important that our songs, that our music, that our prayer times, that our church life are worship, but not to restrict the language to those things. It's just as important to speak of how we relate to our mates at school, of how we uh, carry ourselves on the sporting field, of how we conduct uh, ourselves when we're on our own, of what we're watching on TV, of what we do with our incomes, of how we approach our tax, of how we use our time, of how we relate to various people when, when they're difficult people and, and when they're causing problems for us. These are the sorts of times that test our worship. These are the times that throw us back on the mercy of God. God, I know you've been forgiving towards me in Jesus. Help me to be forgiving of my in-laws who are just causing me such grief. Lord, I, I know that you've been so generous to me in giving me your son. Let me be generous with, with what I've earned this week, that I might support those in need, that I might support the ministry of the gospel. You see, worship is responsive in the light of the gospel. Praise and worship. Well, we should be praising God with our lips whenever we get opportunity. We should be worshipping God with our whole lives all the time in response to Christ. See, maybe we need to change some of our words. Maybe if uh, every time we we hear worship, our mind goes straight to church or to music, we need to make some adjustments. Maybe there are other ways of speaking that would be more helpful. Uh, we grow up with a language, don't we? We learn shorthand. Uh, so when you speak about, oh, the music was great. Uh, no, you know what you mean. When you speak of the worship was great, you might be thinking just of the music. But maybe we should say what we mean that the music was great and it, it was a, a wonderful way to worship God at that time but it was terrific to worship God afterwards as well when we had some some great conversations over coffee friends I guess we're not going to stop using the words are we of worship in relation to church of worship in relation to to music but let's aim to fill out our understanding of the breadth of the Bible's message. Let's aim to, to, to deeply appreciate that God desires worship in response to the gospel with, with our whole being, with everything that we are. Let's ask God to help us to be people who reflect the gospel in our worship in our relationships at home, our relationships at church, in the time that we spend out in the community, in our work, in our pleasure, in all aspects of life. Well, that's the great thing about looking at Romans 12. We've got eight more weeks to tease this out through the remaining verses. Two weeks and we're only at the end of verse one. Let me encourage you to keep looking at this passage that our lives might truly reflect God's mercy to us by offering our bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we know that our worship falls short of 
your great gift of mercy in Christ. And we thank you that it's not about our performance, that you treat us with mercy. We thank you that you reached out to us and didn't wait for us to show some initiative towards you. We pray that you'll help us to consider our lives, consider our attitudes, our actions, and our words, and particularly at this time, how we use the language of worship so that it might be a more fitting expression of a life given to you and not something that we do on the side. And we ask that you will be transforming us as we look at your word to be more and more like your son, Jesus. Amen.